What is the apostles doctrine? And what is doctrine anyway? If we're not careful, like listening to bad medical advice, living by the wrong doctrines will cause us to be in situations and conditions that we neither wanted nor expected. In this video and episode, we're going to begin to learn what the apostles doctrine is and why it's important for anyone who calls themselves a Christian or is coming to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. If this is the first time we're meeting, my name is Chris and this is Foundation Bible Studies where I seek to help connect you with your creator in Jesus Christ, both informationally and experientially, so that way you can fulfill the purpose that you were created for. So what is the Apostles Doctrine? And a question to ask, as I did in the intro or in the introduction, the beginning of the video is what is doctrine and why is it important? When we talk about doctrine, this comes from the complete word study dictionary by Dr. Spiro Zodiades. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. But the definition of doctrine coming from the biblical word, the Greek word used for doctrine within the Bible, it is the thing taught the instruction, the precepts, or doctrine. Now, when practically talking about doctrine, we are talking about, if I can make a comparison, we're talking about a recipe that you're using in order to get a desired outcome. Now, depending on the recipe you use, of course, there are tons of recipes for tons of dishes, but depending on the recipe you use, you're not, you might have a similar end product, but you may not get the same in product. One of my favorite foods is enchiladas. Just thinking about it, when you use a recipe for enchiladas, some people like their enchiladas more saucy, cheesy, whereas others like it more dry, um, something you can eat with your hands, whereas like myself, I like things that have a lot of sauce to it. Now, in general, you might say, well, you know, all foods are the same. But making enchiladas from scratch versus getting it from a box, they are not the same. They're not going to have the same health benefits in the long run as well. But we could also make the comparison such as different doctors, perhaps in the same discipline or the same specialty, but have different approaches. Some doctors, they like holistic approaches where they may use a mix of medicines, prescriptions but also something more natural. Perhaps they, you're dealing with pain. Perhaps they'll say, take a turmeric supplement to help with inflammation. Perhaps be more active, getting out, going for walks. Whereas a different doctor might say, well, here, just take these meds. Well, take this first med for pain, but then take the second med to counteract the side effects of the pain med that's going to make you constipated and so on and so forth. Make sure you're hydrating, drink prune juice, do all these extra things that and but it's not making a big, long impact. And so the the doctrines are like that. It's the different approaches. You're trying to you're trying to get the same outcome, but you are trying different approaches. And unfortunately, on our end, it's not about when we're talking about being in right relationship to God, making sure that we are going to be saved, that we are saved, 
every approach is not the right approach. And that goes hand in hand with the thinking, at least here in America. Let me know where you're at. Um, let me know if you've heard about the Apostles Doctrine before. But when it comes down to uh, the thinking here in America, we have the thinking that all perspectives are valid. And unfortunately, I have to give you the bad news that every perspective is not valid. And this is kind of the heart of the or the principle behind doctrines It's the principle behind different medical approaches. It's the principle behind different recipes. And you can apply this to different areas, uh, how mechanics uh, do their diagnostics or whatever it is, how different medical professionals, how uh, maybe pilots do their checklist. There is when it comes down to these things, you don't want certain people doing whatever they feel is right. You want them doing it the way it needs to be done. So that way, if you're on an airplane flight and you're going somewhere, you want the pilot to do things the way he needs to do it. So that way you can make your trip safely. Same thing with the train conductor. If you're a passenger or if you're a driver, if you're the driver, you're hoping the passenger is hoping that you're going to abide by the rules of the road in order to get to your destination as safely as possible. So when we talk about doctrine, it is the thing taught, instruction, precept, or doctrine. And that's from the definition by the Complete Word, Complete Word Study Dictionary of the New Testament by Dr. Spiros Zodiades. Now, in talking about doctrine, sources of doctrine, one of the things we want to look at is what did Jesus say about the authority of his hand-picked, his 12 hand-picked disciples, who we're going to find out he later named apostles. In a future video, I'm going to break down what an apostle is outside of the biblical context and into the greater context of the world at the time under the Roman Empire so we can see the significance of an apostle. But in short term or in short form, an apostle is an ambassador that carries all the weight and authority of their host or their home kingdom and nation, such as an apostle of the Roman government had all the authority and had legions army or sometimes had legions but had troops from Rome to back up their authority. And so what did Jesus say about doctrines? So one when we're talking about different sources of doctrines we find in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 16 we see Jesus address some sources of doctrines and he tells his disciples which are extended to those of us who have become disciples of Jesus Christ, he tells us, he warns his disciples, and he warns us through his first initial disciples to beware, to be on alert for the doctrines, the ideologies, the philosophies that we accept and live by and their sources. So Matthew chapter 16, verse 5 through 6, it says, Now when his disciples, Jesus' disciples, now, when his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. This is following on the heels of Jesus performing the miracle of feeding the 5,000. And this is right on the heels of that. 
Now when the disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, if you're not aware of the significance of leaven, leaven is like yeast and yeast or leaven is what's called a leavening agent. And it is what you mix into bread dough in order to cause it to rise. So if you didn't put yeast or a leavening agent within bread dough, it would stay flat, such as like pita bread and such things. Whereas the yeast causes it to rise. It gives it that fluffy texture. And so Jesus says, take heed and beware of the leaven, the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But the disciples, they don't initially understand. They are kind of arguing back and forth. They begin to argue back and forth um, about what is Jesus talking about? And is he upset because they didn't bring any food, any bread because that was a staple commodity, a staple food, and uh, daily easy to get food typically. And so Jesus catches on to what they're arguing about, steps in, and he responds to them. And he says, how is it you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees? The Pharisees and Sadducees, these were two opposing ideological Jewish groups in the first century. There was a third, the Essenes, but these were those who sought to understand God's word, but they were doing it purely from their human perspective. And our human perspective can be flawed. If you have made any bad choices in your life, you know that our human perspective can be flawed. Our human desires, our human thinking, our processing can be flawed. And so the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they had two different kind of philosophies when it came to understanding God's word, understanding the scriptures, the Holy Bible. And Jesus is telling his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. In verse 12, it says, when they understood, then, sorry, then they understood that Jesus did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread. Okay, so we're moving past bread, but he says, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So Jesus is telling his disciples, he's saying, beware of the doctrines, beware of the teachings of the Pharisees and Sadducees. You got to beware of what ideologies you're taking in. You have to beware of where you're getting your ideologies. Who are they coming from? What do they believe? And so just we're getting laying some foundations and we're going to get to the apostles doctrine. So we have to beware of where our ideologies, where our doctrines, our beliefs are coming from. But what did Jesus say about the authority of his apostles? So we talked about uh, making some comparisons, some recipes, different recipes when making different meals and wanting certain outcomes. We talked about perhaps different medical philosophies and treating people and being aware of what we believe and what are the sources and what are the source beliefs of the teachers or people that we're listening to. Where are they getting their uh, beliefs from? But what did Jesus say about the authority of his apostles slash disciples? And Mark, in the Gospel of Mark, Mark, he was a close companion of Jesus's disciple and apostle Peter. And the Gospel of Mark is said to be written from what Peter told Mark to write. 
And so Mark is writing down what Peter is conveying and wanting the Christians in Rome to know and to understand and to hold on to. And so in the Gospel of Mark chapter 3, we see Jesus began to invest his authority in his in certain disciples initially. Starting in verse 13, it says, Then he, talking about Jesus, then he went up to the mountain and summoned those he wanted, and they came to him. He also appointed twelve. He also named them apostles, or his ambassadors of his kingdom, of his government. He also appointed twelve. He also named them apostles to be with him, to send them out to preach, so to share the same information that he's teaching and preaching, and to have authority to drive out demons. So this in small form is kind of where I get that whole point of helping you connect with your creator informationally and experientially. So they're going out to preach. They're giving information which needs to affect the hearts and the minds of the audience. But then they also have this experiential aspect to their ministry, to their service to people, which says, and to have authority to drive out demons. So Jesus appoints 12. He invests his authority in them to both preach, to proclaim his message, and to have authority over the demonic, the oppositional spirits that are in opposition to God, that rebelled against him. Totally different video. I will make a video on that in the future. Continuing on in verse 16, he appointed the 12. Simon, he gave the name Peter, and to James, the son of Zebedee, and to his brother John, he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, and Bartholomew, Matthew, and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who also, Judas Iscariot, excuse me, who also betrayed him. So the Lord, by way of having this information and these experiences written down, he informs us that he invests his authority first in his apostles, in, his, in these chosen 12 disciples who he then names apostles. They become his ambassadors. In a complimentary account, getting, giving us more detail, in Luke's gospel, in chapter 6 of Luke's gospel, verse 12, we get a bit more detail about that particular account. In verse 12, it says, During those days he went out to the mountain to pray and spent all night in prayer to God. So Jesus is praying. We're getting more detail that Jesus is praying, and we're going to see what this prayer all night to God is leading up to. When daylight came, he summoned his disciples and he chose 12 of them. He also named them apostles. So Jesus is praying, Jesus as a man, not, at, not in his role as God, but Jesus as a human, just like you and me. He goes and he prays and he's getting clarity from God, from the divine spirit within him. If you're Holy Spirit filled, Holy Ghost filled, even though you have the Spirit of God living in you, you still have to pray, you still have to fast, you still have to get clarity, and even more so us than probably Jesus, I'm sure, because we have a sinful human nature, human body, which Jesus Christ did it because he was conceived 
and was created by the Spirit of God himself. So we see that Jesus invests his authority given to him directly by the Spirit of God in him. Jesus invests that same authority as his disciples are learning, as they are changing, as they are growing, as they are changing their thinking, allowing God to change their thinking about what they had been taught by the Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious leaders of their day, the traditions of their day, versus what the Messiah, what Jesus Christ, the one directly sent by the Spirit of God, the doctrine and the teaching he was now bringing in contrast to those of his of their traditional and religious upbringing. But once Jesus invests his authority in them, both in their word and in their experience or what they're empowered supernaturally to do, what did Jesus say about the disciples that would be made through his disciples, through his apostles? At the end of what we say is his earthly ministry, Jesus' physical time here on earth, in each gospel account, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each gospel is named after the individual who wrote it, and each writer was writing to a different church community to emphasize and to strengthen certain points. And altogether, we get a complete solid picture to help us navigate through different situations and how Jesus would navigate through different situations. And so in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28 is Jesus's parting words, parting instructions, parting teaching, parting doctrine before he leaves this physical world and is raised into the dimension of the supernatural or what we can say or what is said. He is raised into heaven. He ascends into heaven. The first human to die, to physically resurrect, and then to be raised into the direct presence of God in a pure, totally perfect human life. And so Jesus's departing teaching instructions to his apostles, his disciples about making disciples is this. In chapter, or in chapter 28, verse 16, it says, then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee. There's only 11 at this point because Judas went and committed suicide. He hung himself and at this point, there are only the 11 disciples slash apostles. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain, which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So Jesus, after his resurrection, he is reaffirming the authority invested in him because he has lived the perfect life that God wanted and needed in order to present a perfect sacrifice on behalf of humanity. You have to go back and uh, or come back and watch my video, listen to the podcast episode on God's sacrifices under the old covenant system. But now Jesus has all authority given to him by the Spirit of God in him because he has conquered the adversary. He has conquered Satan and all the things that Satan has tried to throw at him. And so based on this authority, in verse 19, he now tells his disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. God plays no favorites. He says, make disciples of all the nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, teaching them to obey all things that I have commanded you. And lo, or behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So in verse 20, so verse 19, he says, go make disciples of all the nations. Go make disciples of every ethnicity. Go make disciples from every culture. And we are called out from those cultures into God's culture. And then in verse 20, what he tells his apostles is this. He says, teaching them to observe, teaching them to live by, teaching them to observe all things, all things, not some things, but teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. And behold, or lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so Jesus tells us through the apostles, he is saying that he wants us to observe, to be obedient to all things that he commanded his disciples, his apostles. And the problem is, is that different doctrines take away certain things that don't fit their perspective, whereas the apostles' doctrine seeks to bring everything that we find within the scriptures, and it seeks to help us to understand it. It seeks to help us to pursue God, to help us to get God's perspective through prayer, through fasting, and by being empowered by God's Holy Spirit. When we received it uh, experientially, then we are willing to be obedient. We are willing because God helps us to understand the benefits both for us, for our families, for those around us, our co-workers, even for those who hate us. And maybe at one point we unfortunately hated other people. But as God transforms our hearts, our desires, our perspective, then we're able to observe, we're able to be obedient to all things. And that's why being having the baptism or being baptized in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit. These are synonymous phrases. That's why this is that is so important. And that is how Jesus is with us. It says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age until Jesus comes back. And it is by his Holy Spirit in us. It is by his Holy Spirit, his personal supernatural presence in his apostles that gave him or that enabled him to do or to fulfill that statement. Now, to kind of reiterate the point of how, or to bring up the point perhaps of how Jesus's disciples were able to accomplish this mission with such passion and with such conviction, we see this is, re, this is stated in Luke's gospel at the end in chapter 24, but Luke is also the author of the book of Acts, and he re-emphasizes this point, and this is just kind of how they wrote in the first century when you made a multi-volume book, is you would reiterate certain things in order to bridge both books together or to connect both books together. But in the gospel, or in the gospel, but in the book of Acts, which is the only book within the New Testament where you're going to see the church in action and not the church's instruction, we see Jesus's instruction or re repeating of some information and a commandment. So in verse eight of Acts chapter one, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. 
and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, in understanding the geography of what's being said or being described here, Jerusalem is a city, Judea is a province, Samaria is part of that wider aspect of the province, and to the ends of the earth, talking about way past your comfort zone, way past your geographical boundaries, but it all starts with being empowered by the Holy Spirit, by God's supernatural presence, his personal experiential supernatural presence in our lives and in uh, this instance in the lives of his apostles his disciples now a question a follow-up question is what did jesus say about disciples made through the apostles jesus told us or told his disciples his apostles go make disciples of all the nations but what did jesus say about those disciples that were made through the apostles. In talking about those scenarios where Jesus is giving these commissions or these uh, assignments and missions to his disciples and apostles, John chapter 17 is probably the most in-depth prayer or most detailed prayer that we get to see. And it is in this prayer that we get to see his focus about the disciples made through his appointed apostles. In the 17th chapter of John's gospel, starting in verse 16, it says, they are not of the world. Talking about the apostles, they are not of the world. They are not of this value system. They are not of the mindset of the world around them, of the cultures and things. They are not of the world, as I am not of the world sanctify them set them apart that's what that word means set them apart differentiate them may there be a distinction sanctify them by the truth your word this is jesus praying as a human praying as a person just like me and you would except he's perfect obviously or if you don't know that we'll cover that we'll cover that in a different video set them apart sanctify them by your truth your word is truth 18 as you sent me into the world as God, as the Father, the one who lived, dwelt in Jesus, as you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. So the Father, the Spirit of God living in Jesus, who created him, who created that human life, sent him just as the Father sent John the Baptist, just as the Father sent the other prophets. God sent the person Jesus Christ there is a distinction there but that distinction does not mean they're separate people or separate beings in that regard but there is a distinction of roles and there's a distinction of natures I have also sent them into the world Jesus saying you sent me now I am sending them 19 I sanctify myself I set myself apart I I am making myself distinct I'm setting myself apart setting myself aside to the lord to to god i sanctify myself for them so they may so they also may be sanctified set apart by the truth which jesus just said that god's word is the truth and this is where we get into the disciples made through the apostles 20 i pray not only for these not only for his apostles and disciples that 
were with him, but also for those who believe in me through their message. So it was through the complete message of the apostles that later disciples were to believe and how they were to believe on Jesus. So when it comes to you and I, whoever you may be, it is we are supposed to believe in Jesus in all, just like he told the disciples and apostles at the end of Gospels, Matthews, command them to obey and observe all I have commanded you. Teach them to observe and obey all I have commanded you. So here, Jesus is saying, let's go back 20. I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their message. So it is through the complete, the whole message of the apostles that we are to believe on Jesus Christ. Now, when we talk about this, most of us, including myself, back in 2009, when the Lord got a hold of my mind and my heart and my, he got my attention, I really didn't know too much about the Bible. I had some assumptions. I knew like three Bible stories. I knew Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel. The, the lion's den story with Daniel the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which were their Babylonian names. These were three Jewish men whose names were Mishael, Hananiah, and Azariah, if I remember correctly. Those, that's all I knew. Everything else was an assumption, things I might have heard. It wasn't anything I had learned by reading it myself or by somebody who knew better than me teaching me. It was just all assumptions. And so one of the things that either uninformed teachers that are not totally informed or sometimes truly deceptive teachers. I don't call everybody a false teacher. Everybody just does not have, uh, we're not taught completely, if I, can, if I can put it that way. Some people are taught to ignore certain parts of the Bible, uh, ignore certain passages, certain scriptures. Uh, others, you know, such as some of us, we identify as one as Pentecostals, apostolic Pentecostals. We try to look at everything as a whole, and then we go back, we fast, we pray, and this is what we call our, our forefathers in, in this organization, in this movement as a whole. That's what they did, uh, is that they went back, they would fast, and they would pray. And through the decades, God has brought unity of understanding and unity of the message that we go back and preach as well. So we are to get a complete understanding of God's word, a complete understanding of all that the apostles taught, both for the positive and the negative. There, there are these if and or if then statements. If you do this, then God will do this. But if you do this negative, then God will do this or not do whatever it is. So yet again, verse 20, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their message. So us believing in Jesus Christ, as Jesus himself said, we he commanded his apostles to teach new disciples to be obedient, to observe and do all that Jesus himself, Jesus Christ himself, commanded the apostles. Jesus Christ was sent by the Father, sent by the Spirit of God, Yahweh, Jehovah, Jesus himself, he then gains all authority in heaven and in earth, and he then commissions the apostles. 
And he says he's praying not only for the apostles, but for all those of us who would believe on him, Jesus Christ, through the message of the apostles, through all that they taught. And so this is kind of what I'm striving to convey through my channel, through the podcast, is getting all those details. Now, the details that can seem monotonous or can seem overwhelming, but the details matter. And we can talk about that in a different episode or a different video. But the details do matter because it will be the details in your car that matter. The details, the fine tuning of your car, the details. If the details are out of whack, your car, your vehicle, the bus, the train, whatever it is, the airplane, the details matter because it will put things out of whack and it will cause a dangerous situation. So what, typo, what did Jesus Christ say about becoming saved? or being saved, being delivered from God's judgment on the rebellious, being saved, being delivered from God's judgment on rebellion, on being saved, being delivered from God's judgment on those who just choose to side with Satan after God has done all he could to reach out to each and every one of us in our different nations. What did Jesus Christ say about about being saved and becoming part of God's family. So there are what I would kind of summarize are three aspects about being saved. And this is, and we're getting to kind of the apex of this videos or this lesson's topic about the apostles doctrine. I had to lay down a foundation so you can see the connection of, you know, Jesus, what he said about doctrine, how he invested his authority and teaching into the disciples who he named apostles how the apostles are then given the authority to go out not just to the Jewish people, but to all nations of the world and to teach and to preach all that Jesus himself taught and preached. So there are three major points that Jesus talked about that were needed in order in order to become part of his family, which is synonymous or the same as being saved. And we can talk about being saved as well in a different video. These are all videos I want to make uh, just so people can have an understanding. But in the gospel, in Luke's gospel, in chapter 13, there, there's this explanation that Jesus goes into. And in verse 1, it says, At that time, some people came and reported to him, Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Pilate was the Roman representative in the province of Judea at this point in time and there obviously he took the lives of some Jewish worshipers who were from the district or the area of Galilee north which was the northern aspect of Judea the province of Judea and so he said he responded to them do you think that these Galileans were more sinful than all because they suffered these things he's saying do you think that they were worse off because they suffered such a horrible death this is a great teaching point even aside from the point I'm trying to get to. So how you die, whether a car wreck or whatever, Jesus is saying, do you think they were they were worse off because they had such a horrible outcome? The way they died was so horrible. Verse three says, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, unless you turn from sin and turn to God, that's what that word means. Unless you turn from sin and turn to God, unless you repent, you will all perish as well. But, but then he goes on, he says, or those 18, 
that the Tower of Siloam fell on and killed? Do you think they were more sinful, they were more rebellious, they were more in error than all the people who live in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, unless you repent, unless you turn from living according to the nature of sin or our condition and nature of sin, unless you repent, unless you learn and turn to God and allow God to begin to change your life, unless you repent, you will all perish as well. And so Jesus is telling us, he's saying that unless we repent, unless we turn from depending on our own understanding and what we think is right, what we feel is right, and turn from that and turn to God as God is drawing us and getting a hold of our hearts, getting a hold of our minds and our perspectives. He says, unless we turn, turn from sin and turn to God, unless we repent, we're all going to perish. We're all going to die. We're all going to come under God's judgment. And that's the whole point of preaching and proclaiming and teaching is that God is saying, hey, I'm trying to save you from the judgment that's going to come on the rebellious, on the sinful. And those who choose to stay in rebellion, they're going to get the outcome of their choice. You know, that's like uh, when you want to fight cancer, you know, you have chemotherapy, you have surgery. Well, one of the big things you can do is change your lifestyle, change your habit, change your, your eating habits, change your diet and things like that. But if you're not going to change, if you're going to not make the changes, it's probably going to unfortunately come back. And so Jesus is saying, unless you change, unless you, the doctor is going to say, unless you change, the cancer is going to come back. Jesus is saying, unless you change the judgment that a doctor takes on cancer and cuts it out or the chemotherapy, you're going to be like that cancer because you are not, you are a cancer in the world at that point to the Lord. God did not create us to be hurting people and to hurt ourselves in ways that we think is okay because it fulfills our pleasure. He's saying, no, unless you turn, we're all going to perish. Unless you change your diet and your lifestyle, that cancer is going to take you out. Unless you change uh, and you allow God to get a hold of your heart and turn you and to help you to turn, we're all going to perish. We're all going to fall under his judgment. So that's what Jesus is saying in this unless we all perish it doesn't doesn't matter how bad we leave this place we can leave this place in peace and still fall under god's judgment the elites they can leave this place in peace and still fall under god's judgment the the poorest of people can leave this place in some of the worst situations ever but they might find they might be the ones that find peace with god because perhaps they were actually obedient to god no matter how bad the situation looks now, in talking about repentance, I have a video on that. I will link it down below as well. And the second part of this talks about Jesus, Jesus talking about the need to be reborn into God's family. So we're born naturally into the human family, but we have to go through the process of being reborn or born again into God's family. And it is, and we find that in this passage in the Gospel of John, I have a video dedicated to that. If you want more in-depth look at it, you can check out that video. I will link it down below as well. And so in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, this is one of the religious leaders uh, of Jesus' time uh, from the party or from the sect or the group of the Pharisees. And it says, there was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, 
a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one could perform these miracles that you do unless God were with him. Jesus replied, I assure you, but unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Continuing on, verse 4, but how can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Now, when we look at what Nicodemus is even asking, Nicodemus is asking, uh, how can anyone be born when he is old? And what a lot of Christian teachers will not do is that they will not go to the cultural writings of the time. They won't go to Jewish writings. Jesus is Jewish. His apostles are Jewish. His audience is Jewish within the Gospels. And so we would have to go back to the Talmud, the Mishnah, and read things like Pirkei Avot, or the different places where being born again is actually mentioned, or at least a phrase or the idea. And the concept within Jesus' time is that for those who were outside of the Hebraic tribe, the Jewish tribe, the Israeli tribe, outside of uh, the ethnic culture and religion, the Gentiles, the other nations, the non-Jewish nations, they were born again by becoming Jewish, by going through the rite of circumcision, by obeying the 613 commandments, uh, by going, being baptized in Jewish baptism, a mikvah. And this was the thinking of the time. And so this is why Nicodemus asked, how can anyone be born when he is old? How, how can you go through that process? Now, granted, this is a legit question on its face in general, but this is the cultural setting of the time. Nicodemus asked him, can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus, however, gives him an answer that he was not expecting. Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So a person has to go through the process of being born again of water and spirit. I have a video. You can check it out. Purely dedicated to that question. What does it mean to be born again? Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. Whatever born by humans is just human. And whatever is born of the spirit, talking about God's spirit, Whatever born of the spirit, whatever is born of the supernatural presence of God is supernatural. Whatever born of the spirit, whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. And do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. And so Jesus tells us between Luke's gospel and here again in the gospel of John that we have to repent, turn away from sin, and turn to God. And we have to go through the process of being born again of water and spirit. Now, in staying focused, like I said, I have videos. I will link those down below. If you're watching on a video or in the podcast, I'll link them in the show notes. And staying focused on how did the apostles, how did Jesus' apostles, the apostles that Jesus appointed when he named each and every one of the 12, Peter, James, John, Thaddeus, Matthew, Judas Iscariot, 
the different one, Simon the Zealot. How did Jesus's apostles, how did they put this into play? And going back to the book of Acts, we are going to recap to make sure that the right people are in place because what they say, Jesus says, what they say goes. This is why the importance of the apostles' doctrine, the apostles' teaching, how they said to do it, their recipe is so important. In Acts chapter 1, just for a recap on who is involved in this, and this is after Jesus' ascension. We read Acts 1 and 8, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Just a few verses later, a little bit farther in the story, not too far off really, but verse 12, it says, then they, talking about the apostles and the other disciples, they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James, a different Judas. All these were continually united in prayer along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and who? Jesus's brothers, his brothers. During these days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The number of people who were together was about 120. And so here, Peter goes and he is appointed the leader of the group. The, the leading servant, if I can phrase it that way. And you see this back in Matthew 16, and you see it in other aspects, other areas of the Gospels. But in Matthew 16, you see this very prominently. Jesus appoints Peter as the chief servant, the lead servant, and the chief minister, if you can put it that way. And so this is why Peter takes up that leadership role. And so you can read the rest of that if you want to, but just, I was coming here just so you could go back and see the names of the apostles, Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, Simon, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. In the process of this speech, Peter, he says that there needs to be one more apostle who gets appointed in place of Judas, and it was going to be somebody, it needed to be somebody who had been around since the beginning of Jesus's ministry. Now, they are all together praying, and they are waiting. They're, they're maybe not sure what they're waiting for, but in the second chapter of Acts, the thing that they are waiting and praying for, what Jesus told them to do, go back to Jerusalem, and you shall receive power. Wait for the promise of the Father. Luke chapter 24, Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. And so here we get to see what the promise of the Father was, and yet ultimately what the apostles said or told people that wanted to know what the apostles said they needed to do to become part of God's family on a much deeper level and how to be saved. In verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, or the, the festival of Shavuot, that's, there's a certain way they count up to the Feast of Shavuot. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. And tongues 
like flames of fire that were divided appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different languages as the Spirit gave them ability for speech. And so all 120 began to pray in the Spirit. They all began to speak in what we say tongues in another language. And it says that in verse 4, then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, 120 people. And this is going to fly in the face of some people that have a different perspective on speaking in tongues. But it's right here clearly in the scriptures. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, 120. Let's keep the numbers there. 120 filled with the Holy Spirit and 120 began to speak in different languages. Now, there are those who maybe misunderstand 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14 and how to make the distinction about the appropriateness of praying in the spirit, which is outwardly expressed by speaking in tongues, as we say, as the Bible describes it, speaking in other languages. But here it says they all began, 120 began to speak in different languages. So that flies in the face of people's doctrine and understanding of 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14 about who and when people can speak in tongues but this is the speaking in tongues is just the outward display of your spirit praying and it says uh they began to speak in different languages different tongues as the spirit gave them ability for speech it's the spirit of god that gives the ability for praying in this unknown language there were jews living in jerusalem devout men from every nation under heaven you got to go back to old testament experiences follow up on my search for truth series and we're going through the bible from genesis to revelation giving the broad story overall check out check that out on youtube if you're listening on the podcast when this sound occurred a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language now what were they saying And it says, and they were astounded and amazed, saying, look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear in our own? How is it that each of us can hear in our own native languages? Dropping down, verse 12, it says, they were all astounded astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what could this be? So whenever you see that uh, experience of people speaking in tongues and they're legitly praying in the spirit. There's a total difference of people kind of making stuff up in legit gibberish versus somebody actually praying in the spirit. There's a difference. I can tell you after having living, having lived for God since 2009, there's a legit difference of somebody making up gibberish and somebody praying in the spirit. It may still sound like gibberish to you, but it changes the person and it changes the whole atmosphere of where you're at. But some sneered and said they are full of new wine. And this is kind of the two camps in general when it comes to Christianity. There are those that legitimately want to understand what's going on. And then there are those that mock. Those who are mocking, those who are sneering, need to be careful. In verse 14, it says, but Peter stood up with the 11. So this is kind of the apex point of this lesson uh, message. It says, but Peter stood up with the 11. They had appointed a 12th apostle named Matthias. They prayed and they were seeking God on who to appoint. God gave them an answer through the casting of lots, which is kind of like pulling straws, I guess, or throwing dice in some regards, just kind of, but you're trusting that the outcome is from God. It was specifically used for a very specific reason. 
in very specific circumstances before they were filled with the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and proclaimed to them. So Peter and the other eleven apostles, they're standing in unity, and the other eleven apostles are are supporting what Peter is saying. He says, Men of Judah and all you residents of Jerusalem, let me explain this to you and pay attention to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only nine in the morning. On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel or Joel. When they and then jumping down to verse 37, this is the end of Peter's message, uh, his preaching, his sermon, his quote unquote sermon, so to say. And it says, this is the crowd's response. When they heard this, and they're talking about how they crucified the Messiah, how God had given evidence that Jesus was the Messiah by all the supernatural signs and wonders, that the audience had seen the supernatural signs and wonders, and that was the evidence, and that they should have known better. But they were fulfilling. They were actually acting out what God seen, the fulfillment of. They were actually just acting out or fulfilling what God knew was going to happen. He knew their the crowd's actions, uh, reactions. And Peter is saying, he tells them in the process, you're just doing what God knew you were going to do, essentially, fulfilling prophecy. God tells you what, what your reaction is going to be, not that God's forcing you, but God is going to take an action and you're going to have this reaction. And God told you beforehand what your reaction was going to be. And now, look, it's actually come to pass. Because God knew it was going to happen in response to how you treated the Messiah. And so it says, when they heard this, they came under deep conviction and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, they knew they were guilty. They said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles. So not only did they address Peter, but it says, and to the rest of the apostles. What did the apostles teach? What did the apostles teach about what, what it takes to be saved? It says, brothers, what must we do? Verse 38. Remember, we covered these points in Luke chapter 17, I think it was. Repent. What? That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. What did what you say, Peter? Repent, Peter said to them, and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Wait, what? Peter, be baptized. And the other 11 apostles are right there standing with them. They ask Peter and the 11 and be baptized, each of you. What does baptism correspond to? What is that connected to? Oh, wait, Jesus, you said to be born again of water and spirit. Baptism is when you are plunged underwater. You're holding your breath, of course. Somebody is holding you uh, behind you and depending on how they do it, holding your arm to help pull you back up. But the word baptism or baptism, baptized means to plunge or to dip somebody underwater it does not equate sprinkling that's tradition that is not biblical that is not what god said to do and be baptized each of you in the name of jesus christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the holy spirit was that just peter or what did we read peter and the rest of the apostles they asked peter and the rest of the apostles in verse 37 they came under deep conviction and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what must we do? And this is what Peter and the 11, this is what Peter, as a spokesman of the 11 of the 12, including himself, this, is the, this was the apostles teaching their doctrine. Repent, like Jesus said, 
be baptized, be born again of water, each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Be born again of water and spirit, just like Jesus said. For the promise is for you, for that generation he was talking to, and for your children, for the next generation, and for all who are far off. So for generations to come, as many as the Lord our God will call. God is still calling people today. He's calling you. He's calling. He called me. I'm still trying to answer that call every day. And with many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. And they, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, a.k.a. doctrine. If you read King James, New King James is going to give you that word doctrine. To the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. In contrast to the teaching of the Pharisees, in contrast to the teaching of the Sadducees, in contrast to the teaching of the Essenes of their time, even though the Essenes kind of stayed to themselves off in the desert, the doctrine you follow is vitally important. So a question I ask you is, in sincerity, what doctrine are you following? Are you aware of the gaps in your doctrine? Are you aware of the things that have been excluded, depending on what group you're following, who you're listening to? If you will pray and you will ask God, he will give you guidance. He will give you direction. He will reveal himself. He will connect you to people just like he did for me. Now, this is just an introductory video. This is as in-depth as it is for this topic. But there are actually about seven areas that the apostles hit on in general that get more into detail. And so this will eventually be turned into a playlist on youtube where we will eventually discover and go through different doctrines and see how they stack up to all that the apostles taught in these seven areas and in the next video we will talk about the importance of doctrine and we will talk about the seven different areas of doctrine that the apostles covered but if you need to know about repentance or the need or how to go through the process of being born again I will link that video right here if you're on YouTube or down below. And until the next video, may you allow the Lord to lead you, to guide you, to shape you, and to mold you, and to help you to be all he's created you to be. God bless you. In Jesus' name.